0: You listening to Trek FM?
1: Books. I thought I'd take some light reading, in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks. This is our dedicated Star Trek books and comics podcast. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Matthew Rushing. Matthew, how are you this week?
0: I'm doing all right, Chris. It's been an interesting uh, week, weekend, helping my mom move, doing some things like that. Uh, I'm just very busy Uh, So a little tired, but uh, other than that, not too bad. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing all right. It's been a really busy week for me as well. You know, if you're helping your mom move, that's the time when you really wish we had transporter technology, right? You can have one of those big cargo transporters like they have on the Enterprise. You just beam all her stuff to her new house.
0: Yeah, I would pretty much kill right now to have a transporter um and so <laughs> with my body it's it's all sore from moving things and it's just yeah not enjoyable so
1: i haven't moved in quite a few years but i remember doing it many times and it usually takes you several days to recover after liking all that stuff around so you know if, if we can't have transporters the least we could have is one of those little handheld tractor beams like wesley built on the next oh, yeah. generation, you know, where he moves chairs around the room. That would be awesome.
0: Well, that, or I was thinking like anti-grab units, um, those would be very nice as well. Uh, you know, just kind of floating anti-grab units that <laughs> so I can put things on and then just float them in, you know, to the so truck.
1: Then- Going across town. Don't don't use a truck. Just float everything across town. There's like oh, a bed yeah. and a sofa and cabinets. Like, a, like just a big boxes. convoy,
0: you know, just going down the streets, yes. you know. Yeah, people that, think, what is going on?
1: That's what we need. All right, well, why don't we jump into our show? And this week, we're going to be talking all about comics, except for a couple of little book items in the news. Now, Matthew, the first thing we have up in news is we finally have the cover art for James Swallow's Stuff of Dreams.
0: Yeah, this came out today. I saw this on uh the Trek Collective. I was really excited. Um one, I you know, after talking to James, I'm very much looking forward to this book. Uh one, it's gonna be dealing with Picard and the Nexus and kind of some aftermath from David Mack's latest series. It is going to be an ebook. Novella, and so it will only come out in that format, um, and that's going to be uh, March 25th, and so I'm very excited to to read this, and I, I really I like this cover art. It's very simple, um, you know. It just says to me that something mysterious is going to happen, and it's got the Nexus on it and the Enterprise E, and uh, it, it's very um, I think just kind of elegant. Uh, looks good for an ebook. I think it'll look great on you know the iPad Retina screen and. It uh, just really makes me excited to read this book all the more.
1: Yeah, well, this cover would look great in print too. I, I am glad to see that even when they do ebook only publications, that they are taking the time to actually create the artwork, just as they would for a printed novel. So, so they're not shortchanging us in any way in terms of, hey, this is an ebook. We're just going to throw this out there to you. No, it's not that. It's like, no, this is a book. We're simply going to distribute it in electronic format only because, hey, you know, it's 2013.
0: Exactly. I mean, and it's Star Trek. So, you know, we all want to read the books on our well, pads. And yes, so, but uh, if this were really Star Trek,
1: <laughs> you'd have to go out and buy a dedicated pad just for James' oh, yeah. The Stuff of Dreams. Because as true. we know from picard's desk you know those pads they can only hold one document
0: which has to be one of the funniest things when you watch star trek <laughs> back these days because uh just a little bit behind the times there you know now picard i think would kill to have an ipad he's like why do i have all this pc technology can somebody get me an apple in here
1: well you can imagine some executive well i guess it'd be an admiral in this case at starfleet headquarters and they're like you know I know we don't use money in the future, but you know, we got to cut costs anyway. We we need to use less materials. Let's replace all the pads with iPads. It's like the airlines that are replacing all the flight books right. for the pilots with iPads. <laughs>
0: yeah. We, we need we need those iPads 34. Uh, you know, with the high resolution retina screen but at that point i mean i don't even know it's like super retina with it's holographic know, holographic technology holographic. exactly yeah. so um well anyway <laughs> this
1: book is going to be coming out on march 25th uh it looks very interesting great cover art and uh, if you want to know a little bit more about it we'll put a link to the trekcollective.com article in the show notes and you can go check it out over there and um also in that same article Matthew, we also have a little bit of new information about Federation the first one hundred fifty years in hardcover.
0: I saw this today, and I was really excited for people. one because I know that there's a lot of people who wanted to get this book um, and thought to themselves well you know this is this is a little pricey for me it's 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 a little bit out of my price range for what I might get is a you know a Star Trek book, but uh, they're going to be re Um, publishing the book as a hardcover edition Um, this time it will actually say Star Trek on the top of the cover Um, and so instead of it kind of looking specifically like that um, you know you went to the store in the 23rd century and you bought this book as a commemorative edition um, this will be more like your everyday uh, kind of Star Trek book and so what's really neat about this though Everybody, right now on Amazon, you can order this for nineteen seventy seven. dollars wow. uh, is a huge savings from what it was before with the very awesome stand that it came with. I mean, Hikaru Suru said things like, oh, my. Um, but uh, but this... you, know, you can
1: do that yourself. You can just just do it yourself as you're reading. Just, it's true. Every once in a while, just say, yeah. oh, my. Exactly. And, and you, you can save a lot of money that way, and you can still enjoy the book.
0: So this will be really cool. Um, I, I really do think that people should get this book. It is fantastic. And uh, the way that um, David is able to kind of weave the story of the Federation together from everything that we've seen on screen is fantastic. And as we, he said when we talked to him, you know, uh, CBS considers this to be canon. Uh, until somebody overwrites it on screen, this is canon. Uh, and so if you really do like Star Trek and you want to know more about the Federation in its first 150 years, and it's really actually more than that because, you know, we start from Cochran and uh, his first warp flight all the way to the death of Kirk after Star Trek Six. So this is, this is definitely um, something to pick up as a fan. Uh, you do not want to miss this.
1: Yeah, I'm glad to see this myself, because as we've discussed, at least you and I have discussed off the show before, I really want to get this book, but for me to get it in Japan, the the shipping plus the cost of the original with the pedestal was really, really expensive. So here, just the book without the pedestal, without the dulcet tones of George Takei, it's going to be a very reasonable price, and and finally, I can actually get my hands on this. In fact, I was thinking about pre-ordering it while you were talking right there, but I decided <laughs> I'll wait till after the show.
0: Well, I, you know, I don't think David would be upset if you were pre-ordering it right now. But <laughs> you know, our listeners have the opportunity to just pause right now, go to Amazon. Uh, in fact, you can even just follow the link we'll put in the show to you for Amazon. Go get this book; you will not be sorry. I, you know, I've read it. It is fantastic. And if you are a fan of Star Trek in any way, or know of a fan of Star Trek in any way, this is a great gift. And now, you know, less than 20 bucks.
1: It's fantastic. Speaking of Amazon, now I did buy something from Amazon yesterday on my iPad for my Kindle app. And that is Tony Daniels' Devil's Bargain, which was just released yesterday.
0: Yes, I'm um, very excited to, to get reading this. I was finishing up a book today so I can can really dive into this book. Um, excited, uh, you know, another TOS book. Uh, here, here we go, um, and this one looks great. We've got uh, Captain Kirk and the Enterprise sent to evacuate the Omega Sector, uh, uh, Frontier Colony, um, all sorts of crazy things are going to happen in this book. Uh, Spock's on the cover, so I'm hoping we're going to get um, some insight into him as a character, and uh, we will be talking to Tony in a few weeks, actually, too, about this. So I'm very excited, um, and and this is actually Tony's first Star Trek book. So welcome to the family, Tony Daniel.
1: Absolutely, and a good thing about this for a lot of readers is this is one of those standalone novels. You know, the, the novels have become so intertwined and so complex in the expanded universe. It can be hard to jump in with a new novel. You you know, you know do feel like you have to go back and read certain novels, as we've discussed before. So these are great that we're also getting these standalone novels, and you can jump into the TOS universe, and you can just enjoy a great adventure with Captain Kirk and Spock. And, you know, like Dayton has told us before, you can never have enough of these TOS stories about Kirk and
0: Spock. Well, and as I think David um R. George III proved in his latest book. Uh, There's a lot of other characters in TOS to focus on as well, and and giving us a background in Sulu with uh, Allegiance and Exile was fantastic. I'm I'm really thankful that he did that. You know, it's a character that kind of goes by the wayside, especially in the TOS era. Uh, You know, uh, he's been explored uh, as a captain, as the Excelsior, uh, but not so much really in the TOS era, and so... Very thankful uh, to see that, um, you know, not only are the the main three getting play in these books, but uh, other people as well. So hopefully we will um, get a chance to, you know, maybe not just have it be Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Uh, Maybe uh, Tony will surprise us with some other characters as well. I'm I'm very excited to be getting into this.
1: Most definitely. I'm hoping the Triple King is going to show up in there because I've really been wanting to know more about
0: him. That would be great. Uh, You know, you know how I enjoy my kings, uh, you know, King uh, Locutus Poseidon, you know, with his trident, I love, Um, you know, you with your triple king. I think we've got a great book there. Maybe we should write that one. (laughs) We
1: should. (laughs) All right. so, So go pick that up. Tony Daniels' New Devil's Bargain just came out on the 26th. Uh, we have a little bit of comic news here before we get into our discussion of Hive Number Four. The May solicit's are out from IDW, so we know what's going to be coming up in terms of comics. Uh, last week we mentioned Star Trek Number Twenty-One a little bit, and it's going to pick up after Into Darkness. We don't yet know what the storyline is actually going to be on that one, but it'll be coming out. In addition to that, though, they have something coming out called Star Trek Classics Volume Four: Beginnings. And this is going to be a reprint of DC Comics' Next Generation series, numbers one through six.
0: I think this is really interesting, Chris, that they're going to be reprinting these old comics like this, uh, especially from the DC era when they had the Next Generation. Um, As we're going to talk about in our feature, the comics that were done by Windstorm, um, they did some Space 9 comics, they also did some Next Generation comics. So I'm actually crossing my fingers that IDW will get the license to be able to go back and reprint those as well. Um, and if they do, I think they would be great, because there's a plethora of great Star Trek comics out there that a lot of people just have missed over the years. I, I know I actually missed these comics that we're going to talk about uh, this week, Because um, I just wasn't as into comics then um, as I am now. And I would love to see these kind of things get reprinted. So I'm excited to see what this is like. And especially um, seeing things like, um, you know, a character like Yar is in this. um, And getting to see maybe some more of her, but, you know, not on the Sila side of things. I think this would be great. Uh, And so this is going to be something that I think is really cool for fans. It's only 1999. You've got six great comics and uh, 152 pages. So that's a great deal. And then nothing like uh, being able to celebrate, I think, to the next generation on Blu-ray with some great old school next generation comics.
1: Definitely. Yeah. So the stories here are about a depowered Q who seeks refuge aboard the Enterprise as he attempts to learn what it means to be mortal. It reminds me a little bit of on The Next Generation when Q came back in Deja Q and he had been stripped of his powers. But in this story, it's not actually John Delancey's Q. It's just a Q who's been depowered. There's also a world where warriors see battle as a child's game. And then a world with dark secrets that threaten both the ship and crew and more. But apparently not Beverly because she's not listed as being one of the characters in here. In the solicit, so I don't know if she's there or not. Maybe she's off uh, at Starfleet Medical.
0: Chris, you know what I have to say to that. How dare they forget Beverly? Come on. (laughs) How could you give her the short shrift? Maybe
1: she's in there. She is on the cover.
0: She is actually on the cover there at the bottom, and so she best be in this comic. That's all I got to say.
1: She's in there, I'm pretty sure. So that's coming out in May, 152 pages, 1999. I just watched for that one coming out. Okay, so that's all of our news, Matthew. Finally this week, we got Hive number four. And before we jump into this, as always, just want to give you a spoiler alert. We are going to talk about the details of this comic. So if you haven't read it yet... Uh, pause, grab it, read through it real quick, and continue. Or if you have the enhanced version of this, you can skip this chapter or you can go right into our discussion of Divided We Fall. We've been anticipating some sort of reset button, as we've talked about before. Now that we've finally read it, what did you think about the conclusion to Brandon Braga's Borg story?
0: Well, Chris, you know you go into the one of those movies and yeah. Have really low expectations. You come out pretty <laughs> excited because the movie wasn't as bad as you thought it was going to be. That's you actually talk about free how I Willy feel.
1: Five, right?
0: Well, actually, I was thinking about Beethoven twelve, the last symphony. That's just really how I felt about High Four. Um, I I went in with some very low expectations that they had set us up for you know hitting the big huge red reset button. Um it's like Voyager had just transplanted it to the Enterprise and I just didn't get that. And so I you know my the feeling I have about this series now at the end is is quite positive compared to where I thought it would be. Um now say that does that necessarily mean that it was great? Um I would say that I would still go with David Mack's version of the end of the Borg. Um I think it was smarter and better and and just made more sense, and I think made for a much better story. But I think this is great fun, and I don't think there's anything wrong with having enjoyed reading it. And it was fun getting to see Picard and uh, Riker team up again, and try and defeat the Borg one last time. What did you think, Chris?
1: Well, I was happy to not get the reset button that I was expecting. I was still left with a bit of the feeling, you know, that this is kind of that, it's like a video game superhero action adventure kind of take on star trek it's it's not really my kind of star trek but it is fun to read through um i like the fact i guess that Worf has an eye patch
0: in here which was awesome i was like oh right, <laughs> Worf has become just like martok right he's just like martok or chang exactly he's well. like a combination between the two can you get any better
1: yeah, I, would, I wanted them to zoom in really close so I could see if they had the little Klingon Empire emblem on the screws in the eye patch, like Chang did in Star Trek Six.
0: Nah, that, that would have been legitimate right there. That, that would have been completely legit.
1: That would have been. Um, I felt that, you know, there were those moments in Hero where I could tell that it did have a Voyager flavor to it where they really start taking the tech again uh with with things here there was this interesting frame on page 14 yes where what appears to be a nude jerry ryan is cradling picard as he's being assimilated and saying
0: i am here i didn't know what to make of this um (laughs) i i felt like um I guess the point of the whole thing is to say that she's freed from the Borg. You know, she's she's yeah. unencumbered. She hasn't been made Borg, so that's kind of the point of having her in that and kind of the cradling that he's doing. But, it, yes, yeah. it's, a, it's a, a strange pseudo-sexual um, frame. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that a lot of people will be snapshotting it and putting it as their uh, iPad cover, um, you know,
1: so maybe i mean i it's perfectly fine it it just kind of caught me off guard because what's happening before that you know you've got the enterprise in battle with all of these borg cubes and spheres you've got picard and seven as a drone and and future drone data confronting the queen and then suddenly you've got that
0: (laughs) exactly exactly it was very strange uh, to come across that page. Uh, it is visually striking. I mean, the artwork there is is fantastic. It is. Um, yeah, it is. You know, one of the things that I thought was is that I felt like if you were to break this down, you would take every single Borg episode and put them into one. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's just kind of like a remixture of everything we've seen in any of the series having to do with the Borg and uh and even down to the point where they're going to use a a retro nanovirus um right. to affect the borg and and then seven has found a way to help save some of the borg and so um yeah it it's all very techy it's very next generation and you know it's extension voyager in that sense um but i i do say i think it's a it's a very interesting look at, you know, inside what maybe Brandon Braga might have done if he had gotten to do the end of the Borg. And it's a fun ride. Um, I enjoy getting to see these characters again. I'm still a little disappointed. You know, at the very end of the comic here, we have Picard and Vash, which I just don't understand that this would be a relationship. This isn't a relationship. This is... I, I just don't get... Vash as a character with Picard. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, So those are some of the things that I just I come away at the end and I'm like huh? So anything like that that stand out to you that you were just
1: Yeah the Vash thing at the end was kind of odd because she's been gone from the story since the beginning and then they just bring it back around And, and I get it in terms of the writing. You know we're bringing it back around to where Picard was at the beginning. But Because of the way everything else ended, I don't know, it felt kind of, it was just kind of odd to me. But that's not what caught my eye so much on that almost final page, next final page there. What caught me most of all was I started wondering if this entire story was about Brandon Braga's feelings about Jerry Ryan. Because he basically turns Seven into a god, on the final frame and 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 the way the artwork is done of course seven is a ghost a spirit and is framed by the federation logo which looks like a religious emblem in this situation and you've got these borg who have been freed and it looks like one of them is a jim hadar which is kind of interesting worshiping seven it was it was, for me, a very jarring ending to the story that kind of came out of nowhere.
0: Well, that that last bit there, I, I actually thought that what it was was a holographic representation of Seven kind of in the way that you get um, in Star Wars kind of hologram. Yeah. You know, where it's but if kind you of read a the text, ethereal.
1: But if you read the text, it actually says that yeah. they will never know their savior yeah, their benevolent queen.
0: Um, but yeah, it and, is. A and very seven is kind the of, queen at this point. He's saying ex- exactly. Um, wh- I and maybe I, I think that's harkening back to that she's the one who is able to pick them out of the collective and save them because yeah. of her filter implant is protecting her um, from the collective, but it's also allowing her to protect others as well. Uh, and so by cradling yeah, it's, them. it's a, it's a strange ending there. Um, but uh, the one that I thought that was most interesting is, is, you know, because data from the future has told Picard how he was able to be reactivated. Now, Picard at the very end is going to save his friend. Uh, and so leaving on the fact that data is going to come back. Uh, and so I thought that was very interesting that uh, Brandon would kind of throw that in at the and make that the very end of the comic.
1: Yeah, it is interesting how you can find different solutions to the problem of bringing data back. It's it's fun to see different writers and 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 what their solutions are to bringing data back and trying to do it in a way where it makes enough sense that it's acceptable to the reader.
0: Yeah, this one was um was okay. Uh it, it's um
1: what what did you think about Lieutenant Archer? turning into the Enterprise-E's Styles. You know, she kind of flips out like Styles does in Balance of Terror when he realizes that the Vulcans and the Romulans look the same. And she's like, she kind of has her moment here where she flips out too and she pulls the phaser and on mm. Riker.
0: You know, I actually thought that was uh, really good. Um, I thought that that was something that made a lot of sense. You know, as uh, somebody who's been traumatized by something so badly, you know, uh, apparently her brother Uh, has been assimilated by the Borg, and so the intense hatred that she feels for them, uh, I think, uh, makes sense. Um, You know, some people just can't let those things go. So I appreciated that that actually was something that was portrayed in this comic, um, that Mm -hmm. not everybody kind of thinks like uh, Picard or Seven or, you know, any of the other Enterprise crew members that just kind of go along with this kind of thing. I think that gave a great perspective to what the Borg do to people and how it affects people.
1: Right. Yeah I, yeah, I agree. The last thing I guess I'll mention on this is the solution and what it says about Federation ideals, I guess, in different ways of presenting Federation ideals. Because as we talk about Lieutenant Archer here and her reaction versus what Picard and Riker and Seven were doing, is that The Federation, instead of destroying the Borg yet again, when they have an opportunity to just completely annihilate the Borg, they instead choose to help the victims of the Borg as they see them, the drones themselves, to break free, to be able to live out the rest of their lives free of the collective, free of the hive. And, uh, you know, when we talk about DS9, we talk about the Dominion's, Decision to annihilate Cardassia. To just kill every single Cardassian. Here the Federation. After everything the Borg has done to them. What Braga is saying. At the end of the comic is that. The Federation ultimately. Will still try to help.
0: I thought this was interesting too. Because uh, it did seem to me. That if they couldn't have found a way. To save any of the Borg. That they were still going to go through. With this plan. Because it came down to that idea of the needs of the many and that the entire Mm -hmm. galaxy would have been overrun by Borg and isn't the death of the Borg themselves better than the entire galaxy being turned into mindless drones. Um, And so that kind of moral quandary of there's really no good decision here. And yeah, you know, seven in this comic saves thousands, but there are billions of Borg. And so, well, yes,
1: it is quite a quandary because the decision that has to be made is that, okay, yes, we do have to destroy the Borg. And yes, we are going to destroy trillions of people in the process. And that has to be done because otherwise they're going to overrun the entire galaxy in the future. And many, many more trillions will die all across the galaxy. At the same time, while we're going to destroy the Borg, We are going to try to save as many as we can in the
0: end. Yeah, and I think this is a great uh, picture of just what makes the Federation and its allies stand apart. And it does. It makes us think about what we would do in their position and makes us think about, okay, we have you know, been attacked and how do we respond? And so this is kind of uh, one of those things that something like uh, a film like zero dark 30 makes us think through. Um, And, and this, you know, as silly as this comic is, it makes us think about some issues that um, if we kind of dive in um, are going to leave us kind of in a quandary for a while because there's no easy answer.
1: Right. And so in the end, where Hive is concerned. When Hive was first announced, I was highly skeptical of it. After I read the first one, I was kind of like, well, it's better than I expected, but, you know, I don't know where this is going. And even after reading three and a half of them, maybe, I still kind of felt like, yeah, well, it's a fun adventure. The artwork's nice. Um, Yeah, like you said, it feels like all the Voyager episodes rolled up together. I was pleasantly surprised in the end that there actually is this kind of thought-provoking message to it. So... When you take all the parts of Hive together, I would say that I think that certainly not anything that would be part of my canon, but I think that that Braga did write an interesting story that does contain that that element of Star Trek that I think has to be there, which is to make you think.
0: And I would say too, if if you haven't gotten these comics, you know, as issues, they will be coming out soon as the collection. Uh, so yeah. that is a great way to, to be able to go and read them all together. Um, so I do recommend that. I think this is worth reading. Um, I do think it is fun in the end. Um, it is great to see these characters back in action. And um, I do enjoy um, this those story points that we talked about. And I think that that is definitely something that makes this worth uh, seeking out and, and reading. And so uh, even if you maybe just go to your local Barnes & Noble one spend the afternoon
1: get a cup of coffee and exactly we're encouraging now but you know <laughs> no not at all they are not available on the shelf
0: <laughs> well is as, as easy it is you know to get these digitally as well it's completely yeah. worth it um and so yeah i do encourage you to to go out and buy these comics i think that you will be pleasantly surprised divided we fall is a four-part comic mini-series published by Windstorm Comics in 2001 and follows the end of Deep Space Nine as well as The Next Generation. Uh, features characters from both series and is written by John Ordover and David Mack. Uh, this is actually also part of the Deep Space Nine relaunch continuity. And it takes place after the events of Section 31, Abyss, which features Dr. Bashir. And so we are a little ahead of ourselves in our relaunch here. But uh, we wanted to look at these comics this week because it's kind of a hidden gem that we had found and thought that we would share what we had found with you. Chris, uh, what were some of your uh, first impressions just reading through the comic? What did you think?
1: Well, I wasn't sure what to expect going in because as we discussed in news, you know, we missed these comics when they first came out and I've been reading the ongoing comics. I've got the feel, you know, for the new Star Trek comics that IDW is doing, but I wasn't quite sure what to expect from a DS9 comic from 2001. Also, there's the whole concept of it being a crossover and a lot of fans like crossovers. And I hear a lot of people talk about how they want to have TV movies crossovers from characters from all the different series. And I'm always kind of hesitant about that only because I want there to be a reason to do a crossover if an author is going to do it or if the writer is going to do it for a TV show. I was pleasantly surprised to find that David picked just the perfect threads from both The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine To put together a crossover story that made absolute perfect sense as to why you would have Captain Picard and Beverly Crusher and Esri Dax and Julian Bashir all working together in the same story.
0: I completely agree with you, Chris. Uh, This is the first time that I have read through these comics. It was not something uh, that I had picked up in 2001, and I wasn't a huge comic fan at the time, and and now I'm I'm remiss that I missed these in their first run because I would have loved them as part of the Deep Space Nine relaunch. Um, The other thing that I really liked about the comics, like you said, I think that uh, David and John picked um, the right things to combine these two crews, uh, it was great to have the connection of the Trill and the different episodes. And, uh, you know, the Trill are kind of a species that kind of grew over time, especially with the next generation. They were portrayed a little bit differently than what we got in Deep Space Nine. But this comic just kind of glosses over that a little bit and and it makes it seem more seamless, uh, makes me forget about some of those continuity errors that happen. And um, I really liked that. Yeah.
1: I don't know if I would call them continuity errors. So much. I mean, you know, the Trill, if you go back to The Perfect Mate, the whole concept of the Trill was very different. And then when you get to The Host, which is one of the main stories that they're picking up on here, they started to develop the Trill as we know them today. And then, of course, with Jadzia Dax being a main character on DS9, they were able to really, really delve into the Trill. So I don't know. I'm more forgiving about what a lot of fans see as continuity problems or you know mistakes in canon as the writers develop stuff over time so uh, I think this comic does a really good job of taking those elements from the next generation and pulling them into what became established trill canon and and really making you forget that there ever was anything different you know I, I never even if I, as, as I'm reading it I never even thought about the fact that yeah well on the next generation the trill were a little bit different
0: And I think that uh, Deep Space Nine in in general just did that well. Uh, You know, they do it with the Ferengi, too. Um, I I kind of really forget a lot of the portrayal of the early Ferengi in the next generation because of the way that they then progress them in the next generation and then through to Deep Space Nine with Quark and the rest of the Ferengi. And so um, I think they do a really good job here. I really like that.
1: So what they've picked up on here that I really like is I just mentioned the host, from DS9, they picked up Invasive Procedures, which is, it's it's not the best story in terms of the TV episode because it feels very disjointed to me. When when I watch that episode, I feel like, okay, I get it. You know, this guy Varied, he wanted to be joined. Uh, he was rejected. He was supposed to get Dax. He didn't. Now he wants it. You know, I, I get it. But I think it's a great story to build upon which is what John and David have done here. So the core of this story, as we get into discussing it more, is that Varad, who temporarily removed the Dax symbiote from Jadzia on DS9, has now kind of developed a hatred. It's like a, he's like a conspiracy theorist right? about why the symbionts exist on Trill and, and why more people aren't joined. And so you take the threads from that episode and then you take Odin from the host on The Next Generation and you pull in Picard and Riker and Troy and Beverly that way and their involvement with Odin and you have the seeds for a really great story that would be a great novel or I think even a great movie.
0: Yeah, the whole time I was reading this, that was the one thing that I was really thinking of, Chris, is that this would make a fantastic film. Oh, or at least, uh, this is a two or three part episode. I was thinking of the way that they did the enterprise arcs where they would have three different episodes. Yeah. And I really think that. Well, you... Or the
1: Bajoran coup.
0: Exactly. Uh, uh with ds The Circle Nine. Trilogy. Correct. Starting so, yeah. season two of DS9. And you could really do this well in that format. Um, I think that would be a great way. This is a, a story that really deserves, I think, to be put on screen. Because not only um, is there a great story in here, but there's also great action um, that we kind of expect from comics to be a little bit more action-oriented. And I would love to see this uh, done. And so um, yeah. reading through this, I felt like I was reading an episode of Deep Space Nine that the enterprise just happened to star in as well. And, um, kind of the thing that I always wanted from deep space nine a little bit is to be able to have a little bit more crossover between the, the two crews because they are, uh, on parallel courses and, uh, they just never actually get to cross because obviously TNG is in a film at that point.
1: Right. Yeah. Except for Worf, who always shows up. Exactly. I mean, he needs to go on a big screen adventure.
0: Um, in eye patch or out of eye patch, you know, the guy is, yeah. uh, you know, you just, you need him around.
1: There's going to be a, a TNG movie, and you're like, oh, Worf, what are you doing here? Uh, well, I left some things in my old quarters. I just stopped by. You know, I have my old gym bag in there needed to pick that up. Yeah. Oh, look at this. There's a major emergency. I guess I'll go with you. He's just like, I forgot my eye patch. <laughs> That's, it's just about the eye patch, isn't it? <laughs> That's all it is. Well, okay, so let's get into some of the concepts of the story a little bit. It's a really, I, I've never thought about this, actually, with the trill. Uh, I don't know whose idea this was, whether it was just David's idea or John's, or they you know were brainstorming together and they came up with this over lunch. But the idea that the trill symbionts are an off-world species that arrived on trill and have plans to take over the society and dominate the society. And they're kind of doing it quietly by cherry-picking those with whom they join. What did you think about that idea?
0: I thought it was actually pretty fascinating. Because the idea of the trill as a species is is really foreign to us. The, you know, that we would kind of let something live inside of us that looks like that. I mean, to, when we look at it as human being. You know, it's not the most pleasant of thing to think you would basically have a worm inside of you. Um, But, uh, you know, apparently something that is highly intelligent, um, if not more so than its host, and also very long-lived. And so I think the idea, though, that this would be their plan for world domination of just Trill... It sounds like the story that a crazy person would come up with because <laughs> i can't imagine this being the way that you would slowly take over a planet, you know, even the the symbionts, yes, they're long lived, but this is a long plan, <laughs> so um I did like well, sure i
1: mean look they're they're worms with a long con
0: exactly, um but i mean i did I did like the idea because it is the kind of thing that you know, when a, uh, a dictator or something like that comes up, they always have a scare tactic to get you. And this is the perfect scare tactic to give the Trill Society, that actually what we've always held on to is wrong. Um, the symbionts that we've let inside of us are trying to really just take over our entire society. So I, I think that this made for a perfect bad guy motivation.
1: Right. An interesting point in here was the accusation by Varide that the symbionts and the, the Trill Symbiosis Commission was choosing who could be joined by selecting people who they thought were weak, who could be pawns. And, and I found that interesting because it suggests, for example, that Jadzia was weak or Kurzine was weak. Or Ezri is weak, and while Ezri wasn't selected, she was just happened to be there at the time. But certainly Kurza and Jadzia were, and, and I don't think of those characters as being weak individuals in any way at all.
0: Yeah, I, I think that that was the thing that made for the weakness in the story of Rod and his theory that you know these are. Um, You know, off-world species who have come to take us over and they're preying on our weakest of people. You know, none of the people that we have seen that have been joined trills have been anyone that I think we would consider someone with an immense weakness. You know, they all seem to be very smart and capable before they become joined. And, you know, afterwards are just immensely more so because of the experience of all the lifetimes. And so, yeah, that, that again, it's like, that's the flaw in the logic of, you know, the bad man. He he can't think that far and he can't really take the roof off his own, his own thought process here.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So Farad's theory, he is kind of like a crazy man. You know, I said, he's kind of like a conspiracy theorist and uh, and we, we do see things like this, uh, you know, like in V, for example, we see that there are these people who believe that the aliens are here and they're, they're disguising themselves as us and they're going to take over and, and people think they're crazy. You know, and it turns out, well, maybe they're not so crazy after all. And that's what got me thinking here, even at the end of this, if we just jump all the way to the very end of the fourth comic where the Trill president is talking to Picard and, and she says, you know, well, maybe, maybe it's true that the symbiosis commission has been hiding the facts from us all these years where they tell us that only a select few can be joined, you know, maybe we all can be joined, but we believe that they were doing it for a good
0: reason. Right. And I thought that was interesting too, you know, the Senate of Trill and, you know, the president, they all agree that, you know, they, they know this and they agree with it. They feel like it is the best course of action for Trill and its society. Mm -hmm. Um, And we see that, played out too because of what happens with Duran being chosen as a as a host and what happens yeah. when somebody who really isn't suitable to be a host. And yes, you know, there are a lot more people on Trill that could actually be joined, but are they actually suitable mentally and physically and emotionally to handle the joining? That's a completely different story. Um, and so Uh, Again, you you come into a lot of different issues um, when it comes to Trill and and thinking about how these kind of things would affect us. I just think it's fascinating, honestly, as a science fiction concept. It's 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 a really good idea.
1: It is. Yeah, it it is very fascinating. It's very thought provoking. And, you know, here it is again. I, I know a lot of Star Trek fans don't pay attention to the comics, but here it is again. We're already having this discussion, we're barely into the comic and we're having this type of discussion, of course I mean, they're written by by David Mack and as we said, it would make a fantastic novel, but um, it's great stuff here Uh, before we get into the relationship stuff, just related to the symbionts as an invasion force here the other thing that we see here is we see a coup d'etat taking place or at least an attempted coup taking place on a Federation member world, and that's another thing that we don't really see often in Star Trek, because that kind of happens on the other worlds that the Enterprise or other ships have to go to and and become involved in or help out. You know, there's this idea that Federation worlds are all paradise. It's kind of like in, this, in the Into Darkness trailer where Harrison says, "You know, you think your world is safe,"
0: and I think that um, this is something that is. Again, ripe for storytelling in Star Trek. Um, The kind of cracks in the idea of the utopian society. Obviously, with all the worlds um, that the Federation is made up of, they're not going to be perfect worlds all the time. They're going to be issues. They're going to be people who don't agree. And um, I thought it was really interesting just to see how uh, Starfleet and the Federation respond to this. They respond very quickly to stabilize the the planet they're doing all that they can to preserve uh, trill as the trill want it to be had not in the way that the Federation you know may want to impose any of itself on so I thought this was a really interesting study of just kind of how um, the Federation itself works with its member worlds and to see that yeah. you know trill itself is sovereign in and of itself and yet it belongs to a federation of planets. So that's a really interesting concept. I mean, and, and, you know, you could talk forever about kind of the politics of Star Trek and how this actually works, Um, but this is a very small snapshot. Uh, But again, it gives us a lot to think about how this actually would play out in kind of a real world scenario.
1: Right. Yeah. And this story doesn't really delve into the politics of it very much, but there is the fact that. There is an attempted coup. Uh, there, There is this small group of people, about 50 people, who are determined that they're going to bring down the government. You know, if they had succeeded, the entire society would have fallen completely apart almost instantly.
0: And I think it was really interesting that one of the ways that they, you know, 50 people can bring down almost an entire planet and a very technologically yeah. advanced planet is by using its own defenses against it and its own technology against mm-hmm. it. And so they use the transporter systems. They use the defense systems that Dax had set up to help protect Trill during the Dominion War. Um, all of these things they use against Trill and its population in a very effective way. And um, almost, you know, this comic comes out in 2001. So it reminds me a lot of that kind of 9-11 idea of using our defenses against us, our... Freedoms against us. uh, Trill is attacked very much in kind of that same way. Um, And so this is a, a very interesting dynamic to see played out in the comics.
1: And it's really more poignant today, even because this idea that someone on Earth could use our own technology against us to bring down a country and in turn the entire world, possibly inadvertently it's very very real the, the the way that computers control everything now it's you know not out of the question that someone could use a computer virus to trigger a nuclear meltdown in a reactor for example it's it's quite dangerous uh, and as our technology advances it, it, stuff like we see in this comic could be a real issue for us as well so it's very it definitely foreshadows. Uh, it was certainly possible in 2001. It becomes more so every day that passes. Well, okay, let's talk about some of the relationships a little bit. And I guess, why don't we start with Ezri and Bashir because that's kind of where it picks up. And I know that you are a big fan of Ezri and the relationship with Bashir. How did you think that was handled here in the comic?
0: I think it was interesting the way that this is handled. It is very much a continuation of what we have seen in the beginning of Avatar, uh, what we see in Avatar 2, and then what we'll see in Abyss. And it just kind of carries over. Um, you know, at this point, we haven't seen this in Avatar yet because we haven't finished that series. Uh, but Ezreal will choose the command track instead of counseling as just kind of um, the reawakened bit of Gen Zia in her that kind of awakens this command potential that actually Ezreal has as a person herself and kind of reaching her full potential and trying to figure out who she is and they're still very much struggling with this idea of uh you know Ezri is as who is she and who is she going to be and mm-hmm. uh, for Bashir that's difficult because you know he definitely loves Ezri um but when you are in love with somebody who is so unsure of who they are um it's all about them all the time and that's very hard to be in a relationship where one is giving all the time and not really receiving anything back. And, and Ezra even says something to that effect in this comic. She's realizing this is happening and Bashir realizes this is happening and he, he calls it childish. But I think that those ideas are very real and I don't know actually how childish that is because in a relationship, it does need to be give and take and one cannot keep giving all the time and not worry about the fact that they are getting nothing in return. Um, and so I, I, this is, to me, I think that the relationship here is handled for me a little bit better because even in the little bit of time that they're here on, on page, I think that the issues that uh, Mac and um, Ordover actually put on, on screen, air quotes, really play out the, the relationship uh, very deeply, actually. So I think, it, to me, it, this is handled better than we have seen so far in, in the Avatar series.
1: And Ezri and Bashir at this point, they have a very young relationship as well. So in that in that case, of course, Ezri has her own insecurities, having been joined and trying to figure out who she is and having to kind of come to terms with all those past lives. But in general, they have a very young relationship and and Bashir, of course, is always still finding himself as well, I think, especially where relationships are concerned. We've talked about that on the Orb, about where he was at the beginning of DS9 and, and how he evolved and, and even what Jadzia taught him about uh, how to interact with women and just, I guess, finding himself so that he's ready for that relationship. So, So I agree with Ezri and Bashir here some of those insecurities that they have are quite natural. There was another element in here though, that got me, which was this insecurity that Troy has about Riker. And this one I really didn't get because Troy and Riker have been together. I know they haven't been a couple per se the entire time, but they've been together for a really long time. And I, especially Troy as a counselor as well, I don't understand why she has the insecurities that she displays here about Riker and Beverly after she makes a connection with Odin and she sees those visions. I didn't quite get that.
0: I'm with you on that a little bit. Um, I, I do think that this is a little bit, I don't know, it did seem a little bit over the top, but then the more that I thought about it, You know, the more I realized, okay, if everybody in the world told their significant other exactly what had happened and you could basically relive the experiences somebody else had with your partner, I don't know if we would be able to handle that. And I I think this really, to me, kind of spoke to the idea of that physical relationships aren't to be trifled with um, with people um they do bring people very deep very quickly they they give you a, a depth of relationship with somebody that goes beyond just being friends obviously this is something that if i then explain to my next partner and they knew all the details and they knew exactly how i felt and all that went in that i don't i don't think that somebody could actually handle that and so troy is dealing with that because she gets the feeling she knows exactly what happened because she has this link with Odin as she is trying to communicate with him, and um, you know when you're flooded with all of that, especially as an empath, I don't know how you would handle that.
1: Yeah, but it was an event that took place quite a long time ago, and she already knew what happened, and you know Riker was playing host to Odin, and but she she treats it like. Riker and Crusher had a thing for one another and you know by the end of the comic she comes to terms with it I know but I, I just found her reaction to it to be quite a, kind of odd as a member of this crew that's experienced so many strange things in their missions and and just the fact that because she I mean she and Will they are Imzadis right They mm-hmm. they have this Connection with one another and she can feel his thoughts all the time and I, I found it hard to believe that she would have that kind of insecurity towards him even after seeing what she saw from Odin for, for me that one was just a little bit I don't know it just didn't quite work for me
0: well I think part of it too is that the, this idea of that the, the trill of the species and, and if you mm-hmm. don't Uh, know or understand much or you're not a trill you're not going to understand what it's like to be one Um, and so when she's seeing this what happens with Riker and Crusher and Odin together she has a hard time distinguishing okay who is who here you know Um, and her question is are the feelings that are being had by Odin also latent feelings that Riker actually has about crusher is this really something that's deep inside you know will that he just has never really acknowledged but it's there um and so i think that's one of the issues that gets brought up and kind of freaks her out a little bit because she's not sure and so it takes her some time to kind of process that uh and it gives you a little bit of a picture of what bashir is going through with esri of really yeah how just how frustrating this must be to try and figure out what is going on with all these lifetimes so
1: okay well well that's the connection and maybe that's the point that they're making here is that that because it makes Troy question something that I think she should obviously know and she shouldn't be questioning at this point in her relationship with Will the fact that she is questioning it ties it into it strengthens what Bashir is going through with Ezri so if you put it that way yeah I guess I can see the connection there uh, and maybe the purpose, maybe that's why uh, th- this angle has been taken.
0: Well, what did you think um, then about uh, the relationship between Beverly and Odin getting to kind of come back together? Cause you know, the, the end of that episode, you know, Beverly makes the choice that Janzia didn't, you know, Janzia wanted to be with Lenara. It didn't matter, you know, if she was uh, a woman, a man, it didn't matter. She, she just wanted to be with Lenara Beverly realizes that she can't be with a female. So as advanced as the next generation was, it wasn't really that advanced. Um, and so what did you think about her having to kind of be, um, reunited with Odin again and kind of go through those feelings all over again?
1: I don't know. Honestly, um, I was more focused on the actual Trill story and what was taking place with Varide and that concept. And the Beverly Oden relationship for me didn't uh, play into my reading of this all that much. I don't know. Did, did I did I completely miss something there?
0: I don't know if, if you missed anything. Um, I did just think it was interesting. You know, at the very end of the comic... Um, the, the last page is uh, Beverly kind of dealing with uh, this yeah. relationship that she's had. And, Which and... I thought
1: was kind of a strange ending to everything, personally.
0: But I, for me, I, I found that Beverly has been going throughout this whole comic. Um, you know, she sees the, the trill at the pools that looks a lot like her um, former husband, Jack. Right. Yeah. yeah and that. so I feel like this whole comic, she's kind of reliving different relationships and, and two of the main ones obviously were with Jack Crusher and then with Odin having a huge impact on her. And, um, I don't know if maybe the point of this for Crusher is to kind of set her up then for, um, being with Picard later on because that's Could what be. will happen. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm and uh but i did think it was interesting that you know at the end she has to deal with this fact that she still has feelings for odin no matter who he is or she is mm-hmm. you know as a as a uh so i just thought that was interesting
1: well it plays into the whole concept here of because this is a trill centric story how do the threads run from host to host right you know What is the symbiont? What is the host? How are they different? And how do those feelings move as the symbiont moves on to another host? And then those that they encounter who aren't joined species, like Beverly here being human, how does that impact those other people? So, yeah, I get that. I think this is a case where, you know, sometimes we talk about rewatching a series or a season and focusing on a specific character arc, for example, this is probably a case where I need to go through and read all of this again and just focus on Beverly and see what I take away from it at that point. Because, you know, we just talked about Ezri and Bashir. We talked about Troy and Riker. We talked about Varad and the the, uh, kind of crazy theory about the symbionts trying to take over Trill. There's a lot going on in here. And I was focused on a lot of these other elements. And maybe the Beverly angle kind of got overshadowed for me by a lot of the other stuff going on.
0: Well, and this is one of the things that uh, really I think makes a, this a great storyline is that it is picking up these different threads and weaving them all together. And like you, right. I feel like yeah. okay, I really need to go back and rewatch Invasive Procedures. I need to go back and rewatch the host. I can't remember the last time I watched that episode, um, and then go back and and then now read these comics and kind of see how all of this works together. And I think what I'm finding is that. It just works really well, and it's making me want to go back to these kind of source material episodes and, and dig in deeper. And these comics, what I think – if I could say anything about them, the, the highest compliment is that it is making me think about these characters in a way that I might not have thought about them before and and maybe mm-hmm. making me think about their motivations, which, come on, doing this in a comic that's 19 pages long – that is really impressive writing.
1: It is impressive. It definitely is. Another thing I liked about these, and you and I talked about this off the air, is the fact that we get to see a few of the characters from the DS9 relaunch, and we get to see what they actually look like. Um, and of course, some of them, you know, over time, we've now seen them on cover art and so forth. But remember, this goes back to 2001. So here we got to see Vaughn in Command of the Defiant. We got to see Char as well, the Andorian. And that always helps me a lot when I go back and read the novels, because I like to actually be able to visualize who these characters are.
0: yeah, this is something that um, I almost wish that they did for any of the books um, when it came to a you know a new starship design or anything like that that we would have a picture of it. you know it, it doesn't have to be you know really. Awesome or anything like that, but just a nice pencil de- design by somebody who can draw would be fantastic. Um, yeah, getting to see Vaughn, what he looks like in Commander Defiant, was pretty awesome. The guy just looks like a burly bear of a man who could just, you know, this is what I picture Vaughn looking like. Yeah, uh, Char the Andorian, I, I really liked that. I mean, great. This, we get an Andorian fight scene. I, you know, I, I was do. so excited to see that. It was fantastic.
1: You know, Char, I am pretty sure that on Andoria, Char's a model. He's like the Fabio of Andoria, don't yeah. you think? I mean, those dreadlocks he's got going, those oh, are- they don't even are look are like dreads. I mean, they're
0: just, they're just kind of wavy. I mean, they don't look like they have anything like that. It was just fantastic. The flowing. Um, I,
1: I know he does shampoo commercials on Andoria.
0: Yeah, he's got to. Um, it looks great though, um, and it is funny too. Uh, you know, in in the books, he he is a younger Andorian, and so the, this picture of him in the comic I think really fit with what I kind of think he looks like, and then of course the yeah. cover art that we see of him as well. Um, so yeah, this that's one of the beauties of doing comics, and I really wish. We would get more comics with more of the um, expanded universe of Star Trek's uh, worlds, especially like a Titan, because you know Titan is full of different alien species that we've only really ever yeah. heard of. I have no idea what they look like even when they're described I in dyslexic, so I don't really think that way. Just give me some pictures <laughs> sometimes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I always look forward to the cover art for that reason, to see who they're going to put on the covers, so you can just at least form I mean, I know as readers, the author describes them and we can formulate in our own heads what they might look like. But but when it comes to Star Trek, I like having that universal image that like this is really what the character looks like to everyone who's reading this because that's what we're accustomed to on television is having. You know, we know Patrick Stewart as Picard. We know Avery Brooks as Cisco. I just like having that image when I read Star Trek.
0: No, I agree with you. And um, that's one of the things that I did like about this. uh, Some of the artwork, as we were talking about before we went on the air, Uh, some of it I think works really well. I really like it. Uh, But I think the thing that, for me, that didn't work as well is sometimes... The way the action is done, um, you know, somebody will be talking, but it doesn't match what's happening on there. So I have to you know, right. you really need to be paying attention when you read this comic because you're going to need to follow the through line. So the action might not match the text because it's actually continuation of what somebody was saying in the previous panel. But the panel right. has shifted you're just seeing to somebody else. Exactly. Place. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Th- that stuff didn't bother me too much. I-, I think I I was okay with that. What did get me on the artwork a little bit though is that the artwork is rather inconsistent, and I had trouble at times telling who was performing actions. Um, Esri, for example, when they show close-ups of Esri, it looks like Esri, but then when Esri goes into action a lot of the times Esri just looks like this nondescript guy who's running around and I'm not quite sure if it's her or if it's another character, especially when she's in the distance a little bit. Uh, I, I found the artwork in the newer comics. I can really tell what's going on all the time. And here I just, occasionally I got lost a little bit by some of the inconsistencies in how the characters were drawn and what they looked like and Sometimes it just didn't look like the same character.
0: The comic definitely has a feel like it comes from late 90s, early 2000s, the comic styling of something you might see in a DC comic or something like that. So it is very close to that kind of style, even just the way the characters are portrayed, the way they're modeled, um, a little accentuated, especially on the female side, all of those kind of things. (laughs) So...
1: (laughs) But because of the complexity of what's going on in the story, sometimes I think that works against the story because yes. it can be difficult to follow what's happening. At mo- it, it, It's not throughout. I mean, most of the time it's fine, but there just are those moments where it kind of lost me a little bit.
0: Otherwise, yeah, I um, I think that on a whole, I liked a lot of the action sequences um, I thought they worked really well, and there are a lot of action sequences. And so I I did feel like most of the time I was completely able to follow what was happening and really kind of get that um, cinematic visual that we were talking about how this would make a great film. I was just imagining, you know, the sets and, you know, especially the end where the Defiant is flying through the atmosphere. Yes. I mean, I was like, man, this would make a awesome scene in a movie um i think they would just nail it so i'd I'd really like to see um them do this story
1: yeah it would i mean in the fourth issue and we're kind of talking about this as just one big story there are actually four issues in divided we fall in the fourth issue the part you're describing there all the action sequences with the defiant uh and even the enterprise are done really well I feel like you could flow through the page, you can go from frame to frame, and you get that feeling like you're actually in the middle of this action. And that was done quite effectively.
0: And what I thought was great about this, you know, honestly, uh, when we watch, say, the TNG films, you know, we really end up with very specific stories about two characters, you know, Data and Picard. Uh, What I really liked about this crossover is that Characters that we don't normally see get to shine in the next generation side. Uh, You get to see Troy shine. Um, Crusher is a huge part of this story. And so characters like that who we don't normally uh, get a chance to associate with heroics or anything like that, get a chance to do some really awesome things in this comic. Um, And I I just wish we had seen more of that, you know, it goes to show that these characters are good characters. Just give them something to do, uh, especially when it comes to someone like Crusher. Because here, yeah, you know, definitely. Bashir and her work together really well. And it's not just one of them coming up with all the ideas, you know, they each have a part in, um, figuring out the mystery here about this retrovirus. And, uh, you know, if it wasn't for both of them, um, you know, they wouldn't have figured it out. So I liked that, that, you know, the genetically engineered doctor isn't the one coming up with everything. You know, Crusher has just as much experience as a doctor, if not more than Bashir. And it really works to their advantage here.
1: Right. Yeah, most definitely. A few other interesting concepts in here. I mean, you mentioned the retrovirus. Uh, It kind of reminded me of a couple of things. Uh, You know, Starfleet, or at least Picard's crew, Attempted to create a computer virus that they could introduce to the Borg, you know, when Hugh was on the ship. And then you've got Section 31 creating the virus to get rid of the founders. And of course, in news, we talked about the whole thing with Hive, but here's another case where a virus is used as a weapon, in this case, being used against their own people. It's kind of a scary concept that, you know, you hear about biological weapons on Earth and things that terrorists might do to further their cause and it's actually not far-fetched and it's it's quite scary and in this case you've you've got 50 people with a crazy idea who basically destroy an entire society i mean they end up infecting virtually the entire population with this retrovirus either as a simple carrier in the case of trills who aren't joined and 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 killing symbionts. And that was an interesting concept to have in here.
0: Well, and I think it goes to show the danger in in what we see in star Trek when it comes to eugenics. Um, and it goes to that kind of genetic, uh, engineering. Um, and that's goes to viruses because things like this can be so incredibly dangerous if given to the wrong people. Um, and, Uh, genetically engineering a virus to hit certain people and not others, like it happens here, uh, is quite scary and definitely something that uh, anyone would worry about. And in the Star Trek universe, uh, this kind of thing is a lot easier with the understanding that they have of medicine and um, biology, DNA, all of this kind of thing leads to some really... Uh, disturbing ideas. And again, this really goes back, I think, to what we saw in two thousand one and the scares that we were having uh and still have in our world. Um and this comic then was very timely and yeah. um would again lead us into some very good discussions, I think if we if we look you know, just below the surface.
1: Oh, definitely would. And actually, I think the danger is greater now than it was in 2001. It just doesn't get the attention anymore. Well, that's true. It's not sexy anymore. (laughs) It's not. (laughs) Um, The the other interesting technology in this novel for me was the idea of Trill's Global Transport Network, where they, they basically have, they actually refer to a number in here of millions of transport stations all over the planet. And you basically just step in and you transport yourself and we see that on earth, you know, like with Cisco is in San Francisco and he goes to New Orleans to have dinner with his dad. But there you get the feeling that he's in his office in San Francisco and he just beams to New Orleans, right? But here there are like these actual, it's almost like, you know, having a phone booth that you can step into (laughs) and you just transport yourself somewhere. And there's like millions of these things all over the planet. And of course, it also made me think, you know, Varide became the infection vector for this retrovirus. And what he, he used that network as part of his attack to go to every major city on Trill over the course of four hours and infect essentially the entire population of the planet. And it made me think about today how easy it is for diseases to spread all over the world because, you know, we're using air travel so much. People are intermixing all the time. And even right now it's very easy for a disease to start in one part of the world. And within a week it's spread halfway around the globe because someone was infected. They got an airplane and they went, can you imagine if you had this type of transport system, what kind of impact that could have on a society?
0: Yeah, this this is the kind of thing that, uh, you know, in some ways we already do have with uh, just being able to hop on a plane and be on the other side of the world. Uh, the movie Contagion plays on this. It's, mm-hmm. it's not a great movie, but this is actually, you know, the, the idea of the film um, that a worldwide, um, you know, contamination would happen because of a virus like this. Um, and so – this is something that um, I think that we do need to look at, to, to to watch out for, to be careful with. Because these kind of things aren't a joke. And we do need to be very careful when we are thinking about things of this nature. And the idea of playing God comes into hand. Uh, uh, can we really be trusted with this kind of uh, technology? And so I, I think this is something great that I really like about this comic again, making us think very deeply about things that are affecting our real world uh, here and now.
1: So what are your final thoughts on this comic series, Matthew?
0: Well, I do have to say, and I I think that everybody um, that has listened so far can see that I am very happy to have read this comic series. I think it's a A great job by uh, John and David to bring the worlds of Deep Space Nine and the Next Generation together in a way that uh, I wouldn't have suspected um, them to be able to fit together. Um, I like that they bring the Next Generation into a little bit more of the Deep Space Nine side of things. uh, A little bit grayer. um, Just a little bit um, grittier. And a little bit more realistic in its portrayal, I think, of some of the characters. You know, we talked about, and you, know, you didn't love the way that War, uh, Troy and, and Riker um, kind of had their wishy-washiness here. Uh, but what I do like about it, uh, and like about the characterizations of them, is that, you know, nobody's perfect, and no relationship is perfect. And their relationship has kind of been played so long as being, you know, once they got together, it's just kind of, eh, they're together. They belong together. They're going to be happy forever. But, you know, real relationships have all sorts of junk that go along with them. Um, And so I just liked that. Um, And I liked how well that they were able to take these through lines from the series and make them work in this comic, and I think very seamlessly. And that is, to me, uh, if you're going to do a crossover this is the way to do it.
1: Most definitely. That's one of the points I wanted to make was that if you've been wanting a crossover of characters, this comic series is definitely one that you'll want to read. Never for a moment. Did I even think about the fact that it was a crossover, you know, I just took it as a star Trek story and it had officers who happened to be stationed on the enterprise and on deep space nine They were working together because the story involved them all in a personal way, and it was very natural that they would be together. Uh, This is how it's done. And, you know, if they could find a way to make Star Trek movies or TV movies that combine characters in this way, and I don't know how they would do it now because the actors have, have aged a lot and are doing other things, but just hypothetically, for those who want to see stuff like this and for people like me who typically aren't that keen on it. What David Mack and John Ordovert have done here is a perfect example of how you would do it and you would make it work. Um, I I did want to tell people about, you know, getting your hands on these comics because it, it was in 2001. It's not available digitally from IDW. You know, they're doing a lot of reprints like we talked about in news with some of the DC stuff. Uh, the way that Matthew and I have this is there is a DVD that was published a few years back called Star Trek, the complete comic book collection. And it's a really handy thing. If you're into the comics, it has all of the comics that were printed from 1967 to 2002. It's over 500 comics and you know, the quality of them, it's not fantastic. What they've done for a lot of them is they've scanned them. They've put the real paper comics down and they've scanned them. So You know, the resolution isn't fantastic on all of them, and you do have to read them as PDF, which is not necessarily the most convenient way to read these. But it's also fun because it includes all the advertisements from the time periods that they were printed. So it's kind of like a flashback in time. Uh, And it's very inexpensive. It's like 30 bucks. You can find it on Amazon or or other places uh, that, that sell things like this. Uh, If you're into the comics and you haven't heard about this disc, you should go look for it. Uh, They've got stuff on there from Gold Key and Western Comics and Marvel and Peter Pan Power Records, DC Comics, uh, Malibu. And and again, this one is Wildstorm. So that's, it's something you want to pick up. All right. Well, I guess in closing, I'll just say I really loved this comic series. I know we, we talked about a lot of the plot points, but... It is a four-comic series, and again, it's written like a novel. There's a lot of meat in there. We we really, even with everything we talked about, we barely scratched the surface of this story. So do go find it and read it. Uh, Even though you know a little bit of what happens from our discussion, you'll still gain a lot from it. You'll really enjoy it. All right, Matthew. Well, let's tell everyone where to contact us if they'd like to share their thoughts on anything we talked about in the show today. You can go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there and you can choose to send a message to a show, send it to Literary Treks. That will come to Matthew and myself. You can also go to the forums over at trek.fm slash forums. There's a section there just for Literary Treks. There's also a section there just for books and comics, and you can join in the discussion with us and other listeners. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. And of course on Twitter under username trek.fm. Matthew, what if people want to find you personally?
0: Well, I'm here of course, and uh, doing this show as well as the orb with you, our dedicated deep space nine podcast. So if you are enjoying the deep space nine talk that you are getting here As we do our relaunch, relook Um, You can join us there on the orb Uh, We have a great time talking about all sorts of things In fact, this last week we did talk about Gen Zia Dax And so um, we did get into uh, what it means to be a Trill um, Looking at her character So definitely join us there uh, do the book reviews as well and try to post on the forums as, as much as possible um, and having conversations with you, the listeners, there. So please join us there. Uh, and then lastly, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02.
1: Excellent. And if you want to find me, I am on Twitter as well. My username is c Brian jones. That's Brian with a Y. And you can also find me elsewhere on the network as Matthew just mentioned, doing the orb for DS9Talk. And also on The Ready Room every week with Greg Harbin, where we talk about Star Trek news and all the series, starting with TOS. We run all the way through to Enterprise, and then we come back and we do it all over again. We have a lot of great guests on there. So join us for that show every week. That usually comes out on Tuesdays.
0: Well, thank you for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on.
1: You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.